0: Superhumanize, accelerated evolution.
1: Welcome to another episode of Superhumanize, where we dive deep into the world of health, wellness, and personal transformation. I'm your host Ariana Summer, and today we are incredibly fortunate to have with us a trailblazer in the field of integrative and nutritional medicine, Dr. John Newstead. Dr. Newsted is not just a doctor. He's a visionary. Founder and president of Nutritional Biochemistry, Inc., NBI. He's a bastion of creative, integrative solutions to complex health problems. He's the kind of expert who doesn't just practice medicine, he transforms it. With over 100 medical articles and four groundbreaking books, including his Amazon number one bestseller in Osteoporosis, fracture-proof your bones, he's not just on the cutting edge of research, he's creating it. But what truly sets Dr. Newstead apart is his holistic, patient-centered approach. He's not just treating symptoms, he's unraveling the intricate tapestry of underlying causes. His work in functional medicine isn't just about healing, it's about empowering patients to understand their bodies, empowering doctors with new tools and knowledge and empowering us all to take control of our health. Today, we'll delve into the core of Dr. Newstead's expertise. We'll explore the revolutionary concept of reversing osteoporosis and reducing fracture risk, the hidden dangers of medication-induced osteoporosis, and the transformative power of functional medicine in battling depression and sleep issues, We'll also discuss the real value of dietary supplements and the exciting future of integrative medicine. And, of course, we'll also hear about the incredible success stories from Dr. Neustadt's own practice, stories that redefine what's possible in health and healing. So, whether you're a longtime follower of integrative medicine or just starting to explore its potential, today's episode is a treasure trove of insights and inspiration. Let's welcome Dr. John Neustadt to superhumanize and embark on a journey to redefine what it means to be truly healthy. John, so good to connect with you. Welcome to the superhumanized podcast.
0: Thank you. I'm excited to to chat for a while.
1: Me too. You are knowledgeable in so many different fields. You've written books, which we're also going to talk in more detail about in the course of this conversation. What I would like to begin this conversation with, though, is your why. What inspired you to specialize in nutritional medicine research and to become an expert in integrative medicine?
0: I love that question. When I was in undergraduate school, I always was drawn to asking the question, why, and -hmm. understanding the underlying cause. And I wanted to be able to access and understand the, the primary data like the basic science and and the research. I was studying one of my degrees, undergraduate degrees in botany, where I emphasized and focused on the molecular and cellular biology of plants. So I love biochemistry. I love understanding biologically how systems work and then also how that applied to humans, like how plants are used in commerce and for medicine and for food. When I went to naturopathic medical school, which by definition is an integrative medicine education. So not only do we, uh, are we taught pharmacology and minor surgery and how to order you know, x-rays and CT scans and MRIs and all of that, but we're also educated and taught about nutritional medicine and botanical medicine and lifestyle counseling. So it's woven into the DNA of my education. And then within that, I, because I love biochemistry, nutritional medicine was fascinating to me because nutrients are simply the, the body's fuel. And biochemistry at a very basic level is how the body uses vitamins, minerals, fats, and amino acids to do its job that it's programmed and ready to do but how then nutritional deficiencies, environmental toxins, infections, and other things can interfere with that proper function and create symptoms. And the thought and one of the tenets of the first book, in terms of the precepts that I laid out in the book about nutritional biochemistry, is essentially if you weren't sick three years ago or five years ago, but you are now, something's changed in your biochemistry. Can we run testing? Can we identify it? Can we correct the underlying cause to promote your health and allow your biochemistry to function as it naturally is? Because the reality is as we get older, our genetics become less important in the development of chronic diseases And it's our diet and lifestyle that has the the biggest influences on what happens to us as we age. And so those can be tested, corrected for, people can be educated to understand what they can do for themselves. And I love writing. I believe that if I can communicate information simply and effectively to a non-technical person, a non-medical person, that's when I know I really understand it. So I love the process. I've been writing, a professional writer for over 20 years, and I love the process of taking that technical information in medical journals and other publications and seeking to understand it so I can convey it and apply it to help other people
1: outstanding John and I love this marriage of the science aspect as well as the storytelling aspect because there's many people who are so bright and so great at what they do within their worlds however oftentimes they have difficulty communicating it to others and to be able to have this deep knowledge such as you have and also to communicate it to people so they can better their lives such as you do in your books or the over a hundred articles or or papers that you have written, that is truly a gift, not just for you, but also for us because we can partake in the deep well of your knowledge. And I love what you said about nutrition that is so foundational for myself as well. And I know it'll resonate with a lot of the people who are listening today. We have much more power over our health and being than we think. And many things may be, quote, fixed just by regulating our nutritional deficiencies that can just sneak up on us, especially in a world like today. Even if we eat organic, topsoils are so depleted that whether it's lettuce or kale does not contain the same nutrient or nutrient density that they may have contained 60, 70 years ago.
0: It's true. And in fact, uh, about half of the US adults don't even consume the minimum amount of magnesium. Mm-hmm. That's the U.S. recommended daily allowance. Uh, about 40% don't even get enough vitamin C. And if you're eating any processed food, you know, baked goods or the flour, the wheat has been processed, you know, that processing strips away 80% and more of the different B vitamins. Mm-hmm. Plus, just in general, the vast majority of Americans are not eating enough fruits and vegetables, which is where those vitamins, minerals, and other plant antioxidants and nutrients are found. So insufficiency of nutrients, nutritional insufficiency, nutritional deficiency is a a big problem and it's driving most of the chronic medical issues that I can think of.
1: Mm -hmm. And since you mentioned magnesium, John, and this is just one deficiency that we can point out right now, but can you give us some bullet points what a deficiency in magnesium may cause or the symptoms? One of them that I personally know about is that if I don't have enough magnesium within my system, I may feel anxious and irritated.
0: Magnesium is used for over 200 processes in the body. Like all nutrients, they're used for many different things. And so it can really affect different systems in the body. What you're describing is a neurological effect of magnesium deficiency. What happens is magnesium is used to convert certain amino acids into hormones like tryptophan into serotonin. And so depression can be one of those challenges that people experience. Brain fog can be another challenge that people experience. Magnesium though is also used for the musculoskeletal system. Magnesium in muscles helps the muscles relax. In fact, it's a smooth muscle relaxing as well, which is in your arteries. So sometimes when people are feeling that they can't get comfortable at night, and that may be difficult for them to sleep because maybe they have some muscle tension, magnesium can help. And that's actually why magnesium is in the sleep formulation Uh, that i created because of that effect and because of the neurological effect that it has in terms of promoting healthy endocrine function and helping the body calm down but again over 200 reactions in the body
1: yes and i think it's important to point that out because a lot of us are deficient in quite a few things. and and the the cascading effect on our, whether it's our mental health, our physical health, our all over sense of well-being can be huge. And so things that we may have been suffering from, For a long time, maybe as simple to fix as by balancing out these deficiencies. And before we go further, because I love how you are able to explain these very complex things in a way that people such as myself can understand them. And because we're at magnesium, I would like to take this occasion to have you, in your words, explain a little bit more about magnesium because there's different types of magnesium that all have different effects on the body. Could we go into this for a little bit, John?
0: Absolutely. Before I I answer that, I do want to give people some information about how they might be able to understand if they need more magnesium. One of the common symptoms of magnesium deficiency is muscle cramping. So if you're getting calf cramping or twitching in your eyelid, that may indicate that you could benefit from getting some additional magnesium. In terms of the different forms of magnesium, it's important to understand that magnesium in and of itself doesn't have any different effects, whether it's in one form or another. Magnesium, The mineral magnesium is magnesium. So, its effect biochemically are going to be the same regardless of the package it comes in. Where the different potential effects come in is not from the magnesium, but from the other molecule that it is connected to that helps it carry it into the body. Minerals and dietary supplements don't exist by themselves, they are complex. They have to have a carrier molecule in it. So, if you look at a dietary supplement package, they have to tell you the form of the nutrients that are in there. This is an FDA requirement. And if you look at magnesium or zinc or copper, it will give you the form. For example, it'll say magnesium as magnesium citrate or as magnesium malate or as magnesium oxide, as magnesium sulfate, as amino acid chelate. Those are common forms you'll see on packages. The first thing to recognize is that they're not all absorbed at the same amount. There are some forms of magnesium that are going to be absorbed better by the body and other forms that your body has a harder time absorbing. If it says magnesium as magnesium oxide, your body can only absorb two to 4% of that. So if it says hundred milligrams of magnesium, most people are going to look at it and say, oh, this is fantastic. This is a great dose. But then you look at the other the form that it comes in, if it says oxide or sulfate, your body is probably only actually absorbing two to four milligrams of that because swallowing the capsule or tablet is only the first step in the process of getting the nutrients to where they need to go in your body. Technically, you have not absorbed them yet. Your intestinal tract is a tube from your mouth all the way down to your butt that is outside of your body technically. In order to get inside your bloodstream, then those nutrients have to pass through the lining of the intestines to enter your bloodstream to be able to do their jobs. And the form that the magnesium comes in is important for first and foremost, for its ability to be absorbed. The citrate form, malate form, amino acid chelated forms, those forms are a lot more absorbable. And those are going to be, it's better to spend your money on those forms because you can actually use the magnesium. It's more bioavailable. But then within that citrate and malate can be used for any energy production and what's called the Krebs cycle or the citric acid cycle in our mitochondria. Our mitochondria are the little energy producing parts of all of our cells. It affects all of our health. And so that is uh, that is one other you know benefit that could have the amino acid chelated form has the benefit of it typically can give you a a little extra amino acids with some little slight nutritional value. But to look at the form is, and if it's in the glycinate form, that also is is more absorbable than oxide. And glycine is what's called an inhibitory neurotransmitter. It's an amino acid. It's naturally occurring in our diets, but in our bodies, it helps to calm the system's down. So glycine can often be used just as a standalone powder in clinical settings. We will prescribe it sometimes for, or it'll be in formulations for people who are feeling anxious or having a hard time calming down. That can can be where glycine can be beneficial.
1: Excellent. And one of my favorite forms of magnesium is magnesium L-threonate, which... Mm -hmm. uh, Yes, which yeah, uh, which is recommended for the brain. Can you talk a little bit more about that, John?
0: Yes. Yeah, so the, what I would say is that where I make my decisions clinically is that there's a hierarchy of value in terms of the quality of the research. <laughs> so what I want to see are human clinical trials showing that a nutrient has not only an effect on a laboratory value. And I'll give you osteoporosis as an example, mm-hmm. or bone health as an example. Yes. There are lots of different nutrients in bone health dietary supplements. Magnesium is commonly found in them. Boron is commonly found in them. Vitamin K2 and one or two different forms, either MK7 or MK4. But the question is, and, and well, let, let me just state first that companies cite research on the nutrients in their products or on their formulations they almost always point to an improvement in bone density, that their product promotes healthy bone density, but a bone density test result is a number on a test. It's not the most important thing about osteoporosis. The most dangerous thing about osteoporosis and what every clinician and person should be concerned and focused on is whether or not a recommendation, whether it's a supplement or a pharmaceutical has been shown to not just promote healthy bone density, but maintain strong bones as indicated by fewer fractures in clinical trials. Magnesium has never been shown to reduce fractures in any clinical trials for bone health. Mm -hmm. There's one study from the 1990s showing that yes, it may promote healthy bone density. It has never been shown to reduce fractures a bone density test only predicts 44% of women with osteoporosis who will break a bone and only 21% of men. The risk for fractures is largely dependent on other things. In fact, a study came out a few years ago that looked at the FDA approved medications for osteoporosis and concluded that the changes in bone density caused by those medications is not a good indicator of the ability of those medications to reduce fractures. Wow. And and so it's important to ask the the most relevant question to your health. The most relevant question to your health is not what does it look like in terms of a number on a test, but is there research showing Mm -hmm. that what the most dangerous thing or clinically what we're trying to work on to reduce the risk of is has been looked at and evaluated in clinical trials. So just to conclude this sort of package on osteoporosis and and bone health, there are only four nutrients that have been shown to reduce fractures in clinical trials, Mm -hmm. calcium and vitamin D about 18 to 23%. And I'm a big fan of having people test their vitamin D levels. The amount of vitamin D shown to give the optimal fracture reduction is about 30 to 44 nanograms per milliliter on a blood test. If you want the immune boosting effects of vitamin D, it's a bit higher, you know, 50 plus, but for bone health, 30 to 44. So we've got calcium and vitamin D. Strontium is another one commonly found in bone health dietary supplements. And I'm not a fan of strontium for the following reasons. One, all the clinical trials on strontium, have been done on a form of strontium called strontium ranelate, which is approved in some European countries as a medication for osteoporosis. In the US, that's not available. It's available in dietary supplements, typically a strontium citrate. There are no clinical trials on strontium citrate. So let's just assume though, that they're equivalent, that it's the strontium ranelate, the strontium citrate will act the same. Strontium when it incorporates into the bone, which it does, gives false bone density test results with the limitations of the bone density test. Even because even, even though there are limitations of how well they predict fractures, we still want them to be accurate when people get them. So for that reason, I'm not a fan of it. Does it reduce fractures? Yes. strontium ranelate has been shown to reduce fractures, but in, in in five of the six clinical trials that have been done, large clinical trials, It's only been shown to reduce vertebral fractures, not hip fractures, Hmm. which are the most dangerous types of osteoporosis fractures. If you have a hip fracture, a woman with osteoporosis who fractures her hip, there's up to a 36% chance that she will be dead within a year. And if she survives it, there is a 50% chance that she will not regain her pre- Fracture level of comfort and mobility that she had before. And in in fact, a a woman's risk of uh, osteoporosis fracture is greater than her combined risk of breast, uterine, and ovarian cancers. Mm -hmm. And you want to look at that endpoint, that clinical outcome as the most important. Strontium, Mm -hmm. again, five of the six studies did not show that it affected the hips in terms of reducing fractures, Mm -hmm. only the spine. Mm -hmm. Now, Here's probably one of the biggest concerns that I have with strontium. A review of the the European Union regulatory data and clinical trial data was done a few years ago and published in the medical journal. And it showed that for every one fracture that's prevented, that we should expect that one person will get a dangerous blood clot that can cause a heart attack or a stroke. Wow. So for every one person that's going to be helped, one person will be harmed is what the data show. So for that, I, for those reasons, I don't like using strontium. Mm-hmm. With respect to vitamin K2, there are two forms of vitamin K2 found in dietary supplements. One is MK4 and the other is MK7. Now they are have different numbers at the end of them because they're different molecules. And biochemically, if you change one carbon atom, in a molecule, it can have over, overlapping effects. It can have similar effects, but they also then have different effects. If they were exactly the same, it would be the same molecule and they would have the same name. Okay. So when you look at the clinical trial data for bone health and, osteo- and osteoporosis with MK7 and MK4, MK7 has never been shown to improve bone density. It's only been shown to slow down how fast somebody loses it. Additionally, when you look at the clinical trials and the study in the National Library of Medicine's database called PubMed, there are no clinical trials—zero—that have actually looked at the ability of MK7 to maintain strong bones, as indicated by reducing fractures as the endpoint that was looked at in the study. In contrast, MK4, and when you look at MK7, you look at cl- you look for clinical trials on the PubMed database for MK seven and bone density. There are only seven. When you look at clinical trials on MK four and bone density, there are 25 of those. It consistently showed that it stopped the bone loss or improved bone density. But most importantly, there are clinical trials, multiple clinical trials that evaluated the ability of MK four 45 milligrams per day to, to maintain strong bones by looking at fractures as the endpoint. And it showed that it can reduce fractures by over 70%. And the only nutrients that were used in that was MK4 or the MK4 with calcium and vitamin D. Now it's been so well studied that it's been approved since 1995 by the ministry of health in Japan for bone health. Now, I say this because in those clinical trials, what's important to know to get that over 70% reduction in fracture, there was no magnesium that was used. There was no boron that was used. There were no other nutrients that were added in terms of that bone health supplement. Now, I'm a fan of magnesium and I'm a fan of supplementing with magnesium in a good multivitamin, or if there are clinical indications showing that somebody may need extra magnesium for certain reasons. Mm -hmm. It's important to know that dietary supplements in the U.S. are not approved by the FDA to diagnose, treat, or prevent, or cure any disease. The clinical trials that I'm talking about are looking, however, at very important outcomes by using certain forms of the nutrients in specific doses, and that's what people should understand, try and understand and look for in a product, in a dietary supplement, look for citations on the website, look that it has the dose and the form that are in the studies, because I've seen studies cited on, on companies websites, and then they use less of the nutrient than, than what was shown to actually work, which is unfortunate. And then, in terms of brain health, it's a similar situation. I'm not familiar with the clinical trials on threonine, but there are clinical trials on brain health with acetyl L carnitine, 1500 milligrams per day, alpha lipoic acid, 300 to 600 milligrams per day, huperzine A, 400 micrograms per day, showing that they promote improved focus, mood, memory, recall and based on those clinical trials that's what i put in and formulated in my brain blend dietary supplement when i started my dietary supplement company mbi in my out of my clinical practice it was because i needed nutrients and products to help my patients that didn't exist in ex- in products that were on the market mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. the products didn't have the dose or combination of nutrients shown in clinical trials to work and that I needed for my patients. So I created it and that's how I've been researching and formulating and creating products ever since. In 2006 is when the company started.
1: Excellent. And I want to talk in more detail about the products you offer there as well. It is so important. And I stress this with friends and family and also people, audience who reach out to me always look at where your vitamins, your supplements come from. Is it a high integrity company? Do they actually know what they're doing? And hearing someone such as yourself talk about this in this way and illuminating all these important things for us gives me personally great confidence. And yes, (laughs) John knows what he's doing and his supplements will be top-notch. Before we go into that, though, I would like to stick with the topic of osteoporosis. It's something that also hits close to home. My mother had a fracture in her hip region last year. Her vitamin D levels were very low. And of course, you have written a book that is an Amazon number one bestseller in that uh, area, Fracture-Proof Your Bones, a Comprehensive Guide to Osteoporosis. And what I find really interesting about your approach is that you have a concept of a whole person approach to reversing osteoporosis and to reducing fracture risk. Can you talk a little bit about that, John, please?
0: Myopic, almost myopic focus with the conventional medical system on treating a bone density number on a test they treat the number on the test. They monitor the number on the test and they think they're protecting their patients. So they're happy. The patient's happy, but they're leaving the patient woefully unprotected and uneducated. If there are recommendations for diet or lifestyle, typically they're made in passing. They're not given specific things of what they can do. And beyond calcium and vitamin D, there's usually not any discussion about which formulas they should take or which nutrients have been shown to actually be helpful beyond that. So it's my mission and passion to help educate people about what they can do. Now, first, when patients come to me with a bone density test result, and they have a diagnosis of osteoporosis, typically they're scared. And Mm -hmm. frequently their provider who they saw who ran the test will have told them that they have to take a, a FDA approved medication. And in some instances, they've even scared them and said, if you don't take it, I will stop working with you. Or if you don't take it, you're going to break a bone or something along those lines. These are statements that have been reported to me from patients. Mm-hmm. And what I tell patients is, look, take a deep breath. Yes, this is serious, but it's not an emergency. You have time to educate yourself and put together a holistic plan because the reality is bone density is only one factor for your risk for a fracture. And it's not the most important piece of the puzzle. Fracture risk depends on factors largely other than bone density. In fact, 95% of fractures happen because somebody falls. So anything we can do to prevent falls will prevent fall-related injuries, including fractures. So what has been shown to do that? Strength exercises, balance exercises, those sorts of things that I talk about in my book. But this focus on you have to take this medication and pressure. A medication may be a good choice, but there is a concept in medicine called informed consent inform, and we all learn it. And it's about giving your patients the information so they can make the best decision for their health. That means talking to them about the option, the potential benefits, the potential risks, and the potential alternatives. Now, when it comes to the potential benefits, most doctors don't realize that the F- there's only one FDA-approved osteoporosis medication that has been shown to reduce both vertebral and hip fractures if you've never had one before. So if you're the person out there who has a diagnosis of osteoporosis and you've never had a fracture before with osteoporosis, all the FDA approved medications will prevent vertebral fractures or fractures in your spine. But only one zometa, intravenous zometa, has been shown to also reduce hip fractures. Now, if you've had a fracture with osteoporosis before, then there are other medications, then the many other medications have been shown to be effective. But that's the level of detail that their doctor doesn't understand because there is no specialty in osteoporosis. There is no board certification in osteoporosis. Typically, it's a general practice doctor who is in charge of screening, diagnosing, screening, diagnosing, and treating and monitoring somebody with osteoporosis osteoporosis. And they, and this is not my opinion. A, a research study came out a few years ago. It was, uh, came out of Europe, but I believe it's the same situation here in the U S the question was how do doctors feel about treating osteoporosis and diagnosing it? And what they discovered was that most of them were very uncomfortable. They didn't feel knowledgeable enough in the disease to be able to give the best recommendations They didn't feel knowledgeable enough in the integrative approaches like diet and lifestyle and exercise to give and have those more in-depth conversations. They weren't, and they didn't have the time. They were pressured to see, just like in the US, a volume of patients, so many patients during the day that having those more nuanced, longer conversations just isn't supported within the time constraints that they have to see patients for all of those reasons this disease is not being approached appropriately and patients are not getting the type of information, treatment, or monitoring that will give them the best results. Hmm. So when you look at a holistic or integrative approach, medications may be part of that. Medications can be amazing when they're indicated. But medications can also cause osteoporosis. There's an entire chapter on medication induced osteoporosis. People need to look in their medicine cabinets Mm -hmm. and see if they're taking any of these long lists of medications that that damage bone and increase osteoporosis and fracture risk. Two of the most few? Yeah. Prednisone is a common medication that most physicians know about, but there are two that most doctors don't know about and people are taking them in greater numbers than ever. And that's the acid blocking medications and the antidepressants, anything that increases serotonin, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. So would, that would be like Prozac, for example, is one of one of those.
1: What does that, that work biochemically? Like chemically? So how would that affect the risk?
0: Great question. There are serotonin receptors in bone. And there, in fact, although people are likely familiar with serotonin in the brain and it's a happy hormone, it elevates our mood. The majority of serotonin is produced in our guts, in cells in our intestines, not in our brains. And there are receptors, serotonin receptors in our bone. And what it does is it increases bone breakdown. And so it artificially increases their serotonin and, and it changes that homeostasis between the osteoblasts and the osteoclasts. There are two main cells in bones. Osteoblasts create new bone and osteoclasts break old bone down in a process called bone remodeling. And in fact, about every two years, we have brand new, every 10 years, we have brand new Bone, old bone is constantly being broken down and new bones being created. And that balance and that homeostasis is, is what we want. When you obtain peak bone mass, that you're at homeostasis. If your bone mass is going down, that, that balance is off. And in fact, osteoporosis fundamentally is a disease of Im- imbalance where you're, you're out of balance. There's too much osteoclast activity breaking bone down and not enough osteoblast activity building new healthy bone back up. And serotonin affects that by increasing the osteoclast activity and decreasing the osteoblast activity.
1: So question for you, John, for people who are listening who and who may be taking SSRIs and that right now at the moment is the best choice for them for whichever reasons, how can they mitigate these effects?
0: So one way to mitigate it is to switch to a different antidepressant. Mm -hmm. Not all if you have to be on an antidepressant. The story is pretty much the same among all categories of medication shown to to harm bone. And that is the, the higher the dose and the longer somebody is on it, the greater the damage and risk. So if you can decrease your dose or switch to a safer medication. For example, the tricyclic antidepressants have not been shown to damage bone. They seem to be safer for bone, but I would just take issue for a moment with the preference that being on an antidepressant is the best approach. I agree with you. It it is oftentimes necessary. It is oftentimes a fantastic approach, But too often people aren't being evaluated properly to look at potential other causes of the osteoporosis, such as the nutritional deficiencies, a deficiency in tryptophan or vitamin B6 or magnesium or iron deficiency as indicated by the most sensitive test, a serum ferritin test, making sure your thyroid is functioning properly. They're making sure sleep is well-regulated, making sure people have purpose in their in their life and are exercising that holistic approach when doing proper testing and looking for amino acid deficiencies. In fact, deficiency in any one essential amino acid and in nutrition, whenever you're reading something and it says essential an essential nutrient is something that our body cannot create. It has mm-hmm. to come from outside the body through diet or dietary supplements. So with essential amino acids and there are 10 of them, about 10 of them, some are conditionally essential. That they, you, and a deficiency in any one of those can create symptoms of depression. Yes. And associate, there are associations with magnesium deficiency and depression, and vitamin B6 deficiency in depression, and iron deficiency in, in depression. And so, looking at it from a nutritional medicine approach and a more holistic approach can give better treatment and better service. To patients, than just going the default route of "here's your oh you have a symptom okay go talk to somebody and here's your medication."
1: I agree with you one hundred percent, John. I think the the reactive ways in which conventional medicine oftentimes deals with issues and the preference to suppress symptoms instead of going to the root cause is really detrimental, especially long term for individuals. And this is talking about tests. And I know we need to keep an eye on the time. I'm just scratching the surface with you, but talking about tests, there's a lot happening. Are there any specific lab tests or markers that individuals should consider when they want to evaluate their nutritional status or need for supplementation?
0: Absolutely. And first of all, I can just say, because I've talked, we've talked quite a bit about the conventional approach with respect to mm-hmm. osteoporosis and, dep- and depression, I, I want to just say My conventional colleagues, by and large, are amazing people. Their hearts are in the right place. They are are hamstrung, oftentimes, and oftentimes frustrated as well by their education, that their education doesn't teach them this integrative information that is clearly in the medical literature, and the system that they're working in, if they're taking insurance, doesn't allow for it. And Mm -hmm. so oftentimes many of my colleagues I talk to end up frustrated they're good people. They're trying to do the best work and help patients. So I just want to say that this is in no way to malign any of my colleagues with respect to testing plasma amino acid testing. So there's a concept of gold standard. There's a gold standard in testing. So that means what is the best test that you want to run? Plasma amino acids test is the best test to look at amino acids, which are the building blocks of proteins there. Our body has over about 500,000 proteins in it. And they're created from those building blocks. Those amino acids are like letters of the alphabet that our body combines in all sorts of different ways to create different proteins that are structural, that are hormones that affect every system in our body with respect to vitamins Some vitamins, getting a serum vitamin test, just a blood test is appropriate. And that could be for vitamin E, for example, or CoQ10. But for the vast majority of vitamins, the B-complex vitamins, B1, B2, B3, B5, B6, folic acid, B12, the gold standard in nutritional medicine is what's called the urinary organic acids test. The reason why is because That will test to see if you have enough of one or more of those nutrients for your specific biochemistry to do its job, not compared to so many other people. And let me just elaborate a little bit on that so people are clear on what I mean. When you go to LabCorp or Quest or any of these other labs and they take a blood sample from you, and they process it, let's say it's a serum iron test or a vitamin B12 test. And you get, a, you get back a number that shows where you're at in that quote unquote normal range. Mm-hmm. How does a lab create a normal range? So labs can create their own normal ranges or they can do take normal ranges from different medical societies like the endocrine society. But typically what happens, no matter who's creating it, you get a sample of a number of specimen. Let's say it's 100 or 500 different samples. And you just say, by definition, anybody who's 2.5% at the high end is going to be abnormally high. And anybody who's at the low end, the lowest 2.5% are going to be considered low. And everybody in the middle is going to be considered normal. Mm -hmm. It has no reference and no bearing on what is optimal. So for vitamin B12, when you're looking at a urinary organic acids test, instead, what it's doing is it's taking and and looking at metabolites in the urine. Metabolites are breakdown products of part of our biochemistry that we excrete. And they, they correlate with specific biochemical pathways. And so... What happens in biochemistry is nutrients go down a pathway. I talked about, uh, for example, tryptophan going down uh, to create serotonin. You need magnesium and vitamin B6 for that. Each step in that process requires an enzyme. An enzyme is a protein that helps move things down their pathway. An enzyme requires a vitamin or vitamins and a mineral or minerals in order to become activated optimally, to do its job, to, to work as efficiently as possible, which is why if you don't have enough magnesium, it, there's a block in that pathway and you're not efficiently converting tryptophan to, to serotonin. Also, it goes on to melatonin as well. Same with vitamin B6. And so if you don't have enough of that nutrient, what happens, it's like a boulder or a dam in the river. And everything backs up behind that. It can't go down its pathway. And instead it goes an alternative pathway and it creates other breakdown products that then get eliminated in the urine. And that's what's detected in the urine. So with vitamin B12, they're looking at a specific um, metabolite or a specific chemical in the urine that's showing that for your enzymes for vitamin B12 to function do you have enough for your specific biochemical needs? Do you have enough vitamin B12? Or is that river, is that stream backed up because you need more vitamin B12? So it's a more personalized approach, the urinary organic acids approach.
1: So quick question. If someone were to talk to their doctor and they determined that this urinary organic acids test be a good thing for them to do. Does this, is this a comprehensive test or do you have to say, I want to test specifically, let's say for B12, or does that give you an entire.
0: So, so typically I don't like testing for one individual nutrient because biochemistry is a web of interactions. And so just testing for one nutrient could, you could be missing other things. So Mm -hmm. I like a panel that looks at all of the B vitamins Mm -hmm. because maybe your b12 is okay but you might miss folic acid or a b5 or a b6 deficiency which also is associated with similar symptoms as vitamin b12 deficiency so it's better to catch cast a little wider net to get more information to be able to create a customized treatment plan a customized approach instead of this shotgun approach of oh we're going to try a little bit of this and then we're it's like cooking without a recipe or a little bit of that and we'll see what happens and you don't really have comprehensive enough of a picture. If you're looking to test minerals, the gold standard in mineral testing is the RBC minerals test or erythrocyte minerals and that's the red blood cells. So looking inside the red blood cells because minerals if you just are looking for them in the serum, which is the liquid portion of the bone, that is not an indicator of your nutritional status because the your cells actively accumulate most minerals except calcium, minerals except calcium inside the cells. It's inside the cells where they do their job. And Mm -hmm. so looking at our RBC or red blood cell minerals test, that is the gold standard in nutritional medicine testing for minerals. So we talked about plasma amino acids for amino acids, urinary organic acids for uh, B vitamins, and then erythrocyte or red blood cell test for, for nutrients or minerals. I'm sorry.
1: Yes, for minerals. And oh, there you are. Sorry. James just cut out this little interruption. I thought we lost connection. To sum it up, if somebody were to do the plasma amino acids test, the urinary organic acids test, definitely for all bees, but maybe also other vitamins, and the RBC minerals test, then they would get a pretty good idea about what's going on in their bodies, right?
0: They would. The only thing that I would recommend they add on to that is a serum ferritin test, typically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: I'm actually taking a note right now. Thank you for this, John. And we talked about briefly about the company you founded, the supplements you offer, and maybe using your own company as an example, how can consumers evaluate the quality and effectiveness of supplements to ensure that they actually are getting their money's worth. What are you doing that you know is the right thing and that should be the gold standard for all supplement companies and what people should be aware of?
0: I love this question because it empowers the consumer Mm -hmm. to make better decisions and where to spend their dollars. Mm -hmm. So as we mentioned earlier in this conversation, there are different forms of minerals get absorbed in different amounts. So making sure, first of all, look at the formulas, whether it's a, a multivitamin or any other dietary supplement that has minerals in it and look at those minerals, the magnesium, zinc, and copper. If any of them say oxide or is the oxide form or sulfate, it's not the best possible formula because you're not even absorbing the vast majority of that nutrient. It's not getting inside your body. So that's one. The other thing to to look at then when you're evaluating the marketing materials is to look for citations. I get people reaching out to me all the time saying, oh, what about calcium and magnesium have to be in a bone health supplement in a certain ratio? And I've been asking for 15 years now, whenever I hear that, would you please send me the research citation where you found that so I can look at it because I've scoured the literature. I can find zero evidence that is correct, that it's maybe a theoretical concern, but there is no evidence that that is actually necessary, nor was magnesium ever used, as I mentioned before, in the clinical trials that showed over 70% reduction in fractures in volunteers taking the 45 milligrams of MK4 per day. So look for those studies. It's a little more technical. If you can ask for the study, any reputable company. We'll actually send you the citation, the study. I'm happy to share the PDFs of the studies, whatever cited on my website with, with people, and then look for the dose that was used in that clinical trial. Is it the actual dose and form of the nutrient that was in the clinical trials that was used in the formula that's actually being provided for in the formula and look for clinical trials, not just laboratory data. For example, there are studies out there that will show you one nutrient is more absorbable than another, which is great. When you're talking about minerals, you want that, but which mineral should you take And which for, for specific reasons, are there human clinical trials, not just laboratory data showing that it works? Do they have the dose used in clinical trials? From a manufacturing perspective, you want to look for third-party uh, certifications, So they should show that on their websites. My company, MBI, does. We have it uh, on our website when we talk about our manufacturing, the third-party certifications that our manufacturing facilities has, and to look and make sure that they've been evaluated by NSF, or we're also certified by Health Canada in one of our facilities, to make sure that is there. Being manufactured in the U.S. is important because what studies have shown is that Supplements that are being imported from other countries, specifically are multiple studies looking at Ayurvedic type formulations coming over from India. When they're using those plants that are in those formulations, plants accumulate toxic metals. And so unless that's tested for and shown to be free of toxic metals, it could have those contaminants in it. And what they found is these supplements, these formulas are manufactured overseas and they're being imported and on shelves have toxic levels of these metals that are very dangerous. So making sure it's in the U S is important because that gives you a level of assurance, but then going even farther and asking about how do they handle the raw materials when it comes into their facility, if you really want to dig deeper. So the raw materials in our facility, whenever they they, they come into the manufacturing facilities, um, they are tested uh, for identity and, and potency. And then they're tested for uh, microbiology to make sure there's no bacteria, yeast, or fungal overgrowth. They're tested for toxic metals. And then when they go through the manufacturing process, they, they're quarantined until that. Then when they get mixed, the, they get blended with the other nutrients for the manufacturing run. When, that, when all the bottles are done, that those bottles are all quarantined again and not released. And random bottles are selected. And they go to the lab and they're tested again to make sure that what's on the label is actually what's in the capsules or in the bottles. And then we test again for bacterial contaminants, fungal and yeast um, contaminants. And then we also test again for toxic metals. Only when it passes all those tests do we release that lot for, for consumption to the public. Every manufacturing run by law in the US has to have a certificate of analysis that's that has the lot number on it that corresponds with the, each bottle from that lot number. Now that's important from a safety standpoint because if there's ever a recall, then we can trace that back, the lot numbers back to who, which people brought, bought those lot numbers and contact them. Now, I've been in business since 2006. We have all of these precautions in place. We have never had a recall. But beyond that, it's important because you can actually look at the lot number on a bottle or, and ask to see that certificate of analysis. Or before you actually buy the product, if you really want to do a deep dive, you can reach out to the company and say, hey, will you share with me the certificate of analysis for this product? I want to see it. If they say, no, we don't release that, I recommend you, you go buy from somebody else. MBI, I have nothing to hide. If people want to see a certificate of analysis for a specific product or manufacturing run, we'll be happy to send it to you. I want you to be assured. I want the consumer who's taking this product, putting it into their body, trusting us to help them improve their health, that they know, not just that they believe, but they know that we're doing the right things every step of the way. So those are ways that somebody can evaluate a company, evaluate products, and make sure they're getting their money's worth and that they're safe.
1: Super. Thank you for sharing this really valuable information, John. And thank you for your really high standards, ethically, scientifically. It's wonderful. All the good things you put out, whether it's the information or your books coming on podcasts like this, as well as a product I know I'll be scouring your site. And I'm always, I love discovering new products and sharing them with friends and family. It's wonderful. One last question to basically tie a knot in this beautiful conversation. As I mentioned, I feel we just scratched the surface. There's so much more I'd want to pick your brain about. But as far as practices go, this is a question I ask every guest. Is there a particular practice that has accompanied you maybe for a long time, maybe it's something new that has elevated your experience as a human being mentally, physically, or spiritually that you'd be willing to share with us.
0: Yes, it's very simple. The foundation of my company and the foundation of how I try and live every aspect of my life is to treat other people how I want to be treated. Everything flows from that.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much, John. And For people who would like to learn more about you, reach out to you or also look at the
0: products you offer. How can they do? Go to NBI Health. Not only are the products there, but tons of free health resources, blogs, podcast interviews, lots of information to help educate people. And the products are there as well at nbihealth.com.
1: Fantastic. I'll make sure to put all of that also in the show notes, as well as links to your books. John, thank you so much for making time to us and thank you for distilling a lot of these complex things for us in a way that we understand. Very grateful for your time and for everything you put forth into this world. Thank you. For those of you who want to do a deeper dive and start optimizing mentally, physically, and spiritually, head over to my newsletter, to superhumanize.com slash newsletter and sign up.
0: Superhumanize. Accelerated Evolution